Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. I am super excited today uh, to have back for the second time his first book, Essentialism, uh, many years ago. Not many years ago, a few years ago. uh, He joined us and he's back with another one called Effortless. You may have already picked it up. It's been out for a while. Uh, But when I read the work of Greg McHugh, and I I can tell you uh, he is one of us, or we're trying to be one of him, I'm not sure which way it goes, uh, but he is an essentialist. The word he carved out on his own, uh, he shows us the way of more and more, of less and less. He shows us the way to lead a lighter and brighter life. And that being said, he's a busy man, but he granted us some time today, so I'm super grateful to have him on. So, Greg, welcome back. Ashley, it's great to be back. Thank you. I mean, I'm super grateful uh, for you and your time and your generosity. Maybe some of our community wasn't here last time, and it would be hard for me to believe that they haven't crossed paths with your work. Uh, But when you do begin uh, and introduce yourself in the world, uh, where do you begin? Uh, Well, my name is Greg McEwen. I am the author of uh, two New York Times bestsellers now, uh, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, which is all about figuring out, you know, it's, it's about prioritization in a single word about, you know, what are the right things to do? And the, the other book, as you've mentioned, is effortless, make it easier to do what matters most. And this book in a single word would be simplification. Mm. Uh, or it's about, you know, not just doing the right things, but doing them in the right way. Uh, and it seems to me that these two together create a, 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 a mindset, something like a healthy productivity. Uh, and in today's world, the, the relevance is is sort of self-evident. Uh, there are, I think, broadly speaking, only two kinds of people in the world today. There are people who are burned out, uh, and then there are the people who know they are burned out. And so, uh, in a sense, unfortunately, uh, these ideas that I write about and teach about uh, have the power of relevancy right now. Yeah. Uh, I've seen a massive increase in demand uh, for uh, for my work uh, compared to pre-pandemic levels, uh, and so as I say, that's a sort of unfortunate thing in the in the big scale, you know, in, in one sense. But it also shows that there's this moment happening uh, of uh, an awakening around around wellness, around around how to make a higher contribution in life, but without burning out. Yeah. And that's really that's really where my my head is at, and that's how I sort of think about my work now. That's right. I'm sure you've heard the language before. It's not either or. It's both and. You know, a lot of us in our younger years, we thought you just got to grind, you got to keep going, you got to build it, you got to scale it, you got to burn out, right? Um, and there really is another way. There's another way to be in the world. There's a way that's sustainable. There's a way that uh, what do you know? You can actually enjoy this thing called life that you've been entrusted. And I think that's the essence of what you bring into the world. Yeah, you're not wrong about any of that. I I think that, and it's not just an age element. Uh, I think think anyone at any age, in any field, in any role can be conned into thinking that that life ought to be lived a certain way. Uh, Let's go path one where it's heavier, it's more burdensome, uh, it's... Um, it's more exhausting. And even if you put a name on it, even if you say, oh, that's hustle, that's hustle culture, that's what it takes. If you call it no pain, no gain, uh, if if you simply, you know, all of that language, all of that mindset, no matter how deep in a culture it is, no matter how often it's repeated, no matter how many people believe it, doesn't make it right, doesn't make it true. What it is fundamentally is wrong. (laughs) <laughs> and the data isn't uh, isn't ambiguous about this. Uh, if you want to perform superbly well and over a long period of time, uh, you, you do not do what I just described. You, 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 if you do, if you try to do that, you will not get what it says on the packaging. It is a bill of goods. It is a con. It uh, will not live up to what it promises. Instead, it will lead people to feel like they're teetering right on the edge of burnout. Uh, It will lead you to feeling, yeah, maybe you still want to make a higher contribution, but you have no more energy. It will make life feel like everything is just harder than it needs to be. Hmm. Uh, This is what you will end up reaping from that mindset. 
And so, you know, it's a bit like bloodletting, right? For thousands of years, bloodletting in the medical industry uh, was seen as a best practice, uh, advocated for, written about, uh, utilized day to day, never mind that it didn't work, never mind that it wasn't actually helping people. Uh, it was the dominant mindset. Similarly, this hustle 24 seven, you know, no matter what the problem is, you can solve it by just pushing harder, exertion and so on. This similarly, it's like bloodletting. We've got to let it give way to a more correct, more data-driven uh, mindset about performance. That, that, and the good news is that, you know, that exists. We just need to now be a little more enlightened in, in absorbing that new way and letting the old false culture fall, fall away from us. That's right. In the words of Parker J. Palmer, penetrate illusion and touch reality. You know, yeah, um, love that. Yeah, to get through there. So, uh, it's do you consider this the sister book, the brother book, the cousin, the encore? Uh, because essentialism, you know, less but better. Every yes leads to ninety nine no's. Effortless is more of like, okay, how do you how do you maintain essentialism? You know, like really, I think that's the essence of of what effortless is. There's two ways of thinking about effortless. One is the way you just said, a sort of a sort of cousin, where they they can work. You know, they. The, the two parts of the same model. And, and, and that's not wrong. You know, I, I, I wrote it deliberately to be able to be a sort of echo of the first that someone who read, reads essentialism could find that effortless integrates right. well with that. Yeah. Nevertheless, I think that the more, the more um, discerning reader actually discovers that, uh, that effortless is a bit of a, um, well, what's that term? Uh, you know, uh, in in Troy, you had the. Uh, come on, help me out with this. Where where <laughs> the horse? The horse comes in, and you have the Trojan horse. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think this is like a Trojan horse. It's. Um, I think it is. I think it stands alone as a bold mindset on its own. On its own, that independently, uh, you could you could adopt effortless as its own mindset, as its own way of working, as its own way of you know, of, 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 of its own state, its own way of taking action, its own way of getting results. And so I see them working better together than separately. But I do think that that uh, that effortless has within it as something that's so countercultural and more countercultural than I realized when I wrote it, even hmm. uh, that 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 it stands in that sense alone, uh, because uh, because it's about how you do anything you do right now it's better if you're focused you apply effortless thinking to the essentials right because you'll get the essentials things to be easier but just anything you do can be made harder or easier yeah. uh, and it matters a lot because a normal way of living uh can be so burdensome uh that uh, that that people well let me say it this way I'll say it this way. I think that there are many people who are listening to this right now who are dealing with a 10x dilemma. Mm. And that is this, that, that if, I, if, if, if they sort of ask themselves this question, they say, look, do I want better results in my life, in my business, and so on, even 10x results? Right, the answer is yes, right? They, they, the fact that they're here, they want better results. But now the second question, can you work 10x harder? Hmm. Right, there's the dilemma, right? right? Yep. Everyone's a yes to the first. Everyone's a no to the second. Yep. That's the dilemma. As soon as you ask that question, as soon as you understand that dilemma, effortlessness becomes a, a standalone idea. You say, okay, well, to get to better results, I have to find an easier, better, smarter, different strategy. Yep. And then the whole book is, de is devoted to that. And, and, and of course, right now with the pandemic and so on, it makes it, uh, you know, we're in a very particular phase of the pandemic, I would say right now. And it's, uh, it's characterized, char what is the word I'm looking for? Characterized. Characterized. <laughs> <laughs> it is characterized. It's characterized by this, uh, this like a pandemic fatigue mm -hmm. where people, 
it's not just, oh, I'm fatigued by the pandemic itself and the actions I have to take. It's like everyone thought this would be gone now. Everyone, this would be eased. We would be going back to something. We would have the, you know, sort of the end of the war. Okay, now we rejoice. It's not like that. And of course, everyone knows that. And it sort of seeps into you. Oh, this is here to stay. This, this is going to be cyclical. This could be for years and years to come. And that creates a different kind of burden. So in that environment, suddenly you say, well, the old way of working, just working harder. I, like, I don't have any harder to give. I don't have any extra in the tank that I haven't already used to pivot and to respond to the challenges so far. So the necessity of finding a way to achieve wellness while getting better results is, uh, it's, it's, I think that's why the book has, I think that's why the book has done well. I think that's why it's a New York Times bestseller. I think that's why it became a book of the year uh, by the Times in London. I think it's because it's the relevance yep. right now. Yep. Uh, I think that's the, that's, I don't know if it's a great book. I think it's a great moment of relevance for the subject. Helping us get to the true thing underneath the thing, right? Sometimes I think with a great book, you get new language for something that you've known but you just haven't had a name for it. And the second you can name it, oh, aha, it's there. Um, well said. So let's get into this for a bit because you, you divide the book into three parts. I may stay at home base in part one for a while here because that really is the essence of Good, True, and Beautiful about what we're always talking about here. Your state, right? right? The way right. you are in the world, the way you see the world, um, everything shifts from your state, be, do, have, right? It starts at being. Um, so you've got three parts here, the effortless state, the effortless action, effortless results. Talk to me about where you begin the conversation about your state, because I, I have found uh, that for myself, um, everything shifts when I get that right. Call it a beautiful state, call it a joyful state, a rested state, choose what words you want, but it all begins there. Well, I, I, you know, of course, there's a meeting of the minds around this uh, the, the, between us. The, you know, there's an interdependent relationship between state, action, and results. Mm -hmm. So uh, they all inform each other. Uh, in, in the book, I treat it like three concentric circles. The core of it, the most important element at the center, that's your state, your effortless state. And, and it's actually a, a state that almost everyone has experienced but we spend a lot of our time in an alternative state. So you can think about this in a very practical sense, right? That, that experience we've all had where maybe it's towards the end of the day, uh, we, we've lost our keys, can't find our keys. We get an email from someone seems to be complaining about something that irritates us, frustrates us. Uh, a daughter wants us to braid her hair and even that, you know, feels like a, 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 it's pinching us. It's, it's, it's somehow resentful of that. And, that's, that's the exhausted state. That's a state of suffering. That's something we know. Yep. Um, compare that to just, okay, you, you eat, you know, you eat a warm meal, you take a hot shower, you get a good night's sleep. And now what, what is your state now? <laughs> Fresh, um, renewed. You find the, you find the keys right where you left them. Uh, you, you, you read that email again and you know exactly how to respond you know, you understand what their intent is and you can find the words to, it's, it's no longer a burden like it was that you're happy to braid your daughter's hair. Everything is different. All the facts are actually, you know, the external facts are the same, but you see it all differently. You respond differently and you're more at ease as you go through, you know, as you go through that, the, the, those actions. So the question is, is what can we do to spend more of our life in that effortless state mm -hmm. instead of it being, you know, uh, like in baseball, like, you know, you touch the base and you're just, you know, you're just running through it and you only occasionally are in that state. You keep coming back to it again and again and again. And, and so the, you know, the first, actually it's more than a third of the book. It's probably almost a half of the book is focused on state because it's so important. Uh, there are some, counterintuitive things we can do to immediately improve our state, get ourselves into a more effortless state. Uh, and, and, you know, among them, or maybe less counterintuitive is to sleep, is to take a nap. A 90 minute nap will give you uh, as, as great a mental uh, improvement 
uh, on a lot of criteria as our full night's sleep. Uh, and here we are, and many of us working from home now, uh, and, and but people not taking naps. Uh, you know, so you can see it's a cultural thing because the opportunity is there to do it, but people still don't do it. So that's one thing we can do to immediately improve our state. Uh, another is, uh, more, this is more counterintuitive, is to, is to fire our grudges. Uh, to, you know, there's, I, I was talking to Tim Ferriss on his podcast and, and you know, as, as effortless, you know, has come out. And I said, look, what percentage of your mental and emotional energy has been consumed with anger and resentment and grudges and so on? And he said, look, probably there was 15 years of my life where probably something like 70%, 60 to 70% of my mental, emotional energy is consumed with those things. Wow. Think of that. Wow. Think of the cost of that. You know, the, 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 the mental capacity that is being utilized is this enormous tax. And it's with him every day and every waking moment. And so he's carrying you know, whatever task he is doing, he's carrying with him this massive backpack full of burdensome emotional yeah. boulders yeah. that make that specific task he's doing that much harder. Of course, he's just being open about the about the challenges. It's true for it's true for many of us. And so there's that's a, you know the idea that we can fire our grudges it might not sound like a key to healthy productivity but what else can you call it if you can get that kind of capacity returned to you yeah. it's like the ultimate hack yeah. and, and to learn you know, the idea of firing your grudges just comes from the idea that we actually hire grudges to do certain things for us mm. you know that we choose to pick them up yeah. now it, it happens at the same time as someone's done something awful or something's hurt us we pick up the grudge with the hurt mm. thinking they're the same thing and then we hold on to that grudge. We've hired that grudge. Uh, and and the, the, the great thing about this is that you can evaluate how your grudge is performing. Yep. You can say, why did I hire it? Like a job performance evaluation. What, what are all the reasons I, keep, I hold on to it? Now let me ask, how is it performing against that, those intended uh, you know, you know, performance criteria? And what you'll find is that it doesn't perform well at all. It doesn't do what it pretends to do and so that's a key to being able to start moving towards letting go of it uh because because you go oh, I'm, I'm firing you I, I don't i don't need you in my world and so those are a couple of things that's a physical thing to take the naps and then then an emotional thing to be able to fire these grudges all of this is key to being able to return to this effortless state yeah uh, and, and all the benefits that come with that yeah yeah, yeah. i i keep thinking awareness is a huge part of this. This is very Eckhart Tolle, the power of now. I think where he says like 90% of our thoughts are not only are they not necessary, but they're on repeat. We thought them yesterday. I think that's what you're getting at when you, when you talk about, you know, these grudges that uh, we do need to fire them because of how much bandwidth they take up um, and freedom, liberation. <laughs> you know, that, that's what's on the other side of, of, of firing these grudges. I was so inspired by uh, by a friend of mine, Chris Williams, who was in a massive car accident. Um, that's not quite the right way to say it. It was around Christmas several years ago, and and he was just driving along, and and he's hit broadside by a drunk driver, a teenage drunk driver, and he's he's in the midst of that wreckage. There's a you know broken, literally broken car, broken bodies. Uh, his, uh, his pregnant wife has died instantly, is still in the car with him. Uh, children died too. Um, one of them turns out to, you know, to, to, to be hurt, but, but survives. And another child wasn't with him at the time. And he's in this absolute agony, right? Like, you know, he, in fact, he, he hears this streaming sound and it takes him a beat to notice it's him uh, that's screaming as he sees what has just happened and he's trying to make sense of it. And then in what is an unbelievable thing, uh, really quite magnificent, I think one would have to say miraculous in its own way. Uh, he has this little vision or something where he sees two paths in front of him. 
I, I didn't know about this when I when I was um, I interviewed him recently after I'd written the book and so on. And I, that's when I discovered this phrasing of two paths. And, and I had found the same in, in an extreme experience I'd been through. This discovery of a second path. Here were the paths for him. He said, he said, I can either just hate this person, you know, really, I mean, talk about, and none of us would blame him for holding a grudge. I mean, goodness sake, right? But but he suddenly discovered if I if I take that pain and put it on my back, if I if I carry that with me, this this hate of this person who's done this, then it will destroy me. It will destroy the rest of my life. It will make it impossible for me to look after my you know, my, the, my surviving children or to be able to imagine a future that's in any way positive. And so he could see the cost of this. And, and a, in that moment could also see this part of, if I let go, if I don't hold a grudge, if I forgive him, that's the word, mm-hmm. if I forgive this person right now, while I'm still in the wreckage, I have a chance at a life that that could go on. Wow. I could look after my children. I could see a future of, of, of positive contribution. And, and the miraculous part, not just seeing it, but he actually makes that choice in the wreckage right there. And that doesn't mean, of course, that there's no troubles afterwards. It just means that all the troubles afterwards are not made even worse mm. by all of that additional substantial, uh, you know, animosity and enmity and contention that he could feel. And, and it, it followed what, what followed for Chris. I won't get into all of it, but an unbelievable journey of, of, of sharing those ideas with people, even in the midst of the calamity and, and it, it, an outpouring of spirit in the whole community of people forgiving mm-hmm. other people. And, uh, and, and just became this exceptional example to me of, of the power of this, uh, you, you know, and, and so, so that's a, that's a vivid example of uh, of the difference between this state of suffering and and a more effortless state, yeah. uh, a way of living that just lets go, uh, that, that that cuts off and cuts out yeah. things that are robbing us of this moment. Yeah, yeah. You uh, shared some vulnerable stuff in the book um, around the topic of abundance. Uh, and navigating some things, you know, with one of your children. And I, and I love when you wrote, you know, when you focus on what you lack, you lose what you have. When you focus on what you have, you get what you lack. And you guys kind of had a two roads moment, right? Um, I believe her name's Eve. Is that right? Um, That's right. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Well, the, I mean, we, we'd moved into a, a lovely new neighborhood. Life was going very well. The children were especially thriving, and Eve, perhaps especially even among the children, was always climbing trees and always naming the animals and running barefoot and reading constantly and talking 100 words a minute and all of this until she turned 14 and then just became slower in doing her chores and was less talkative and maybe a little more physically awkward and we just thought, well, pretty age appropriate. Let's not be too worried about this right now. And and then she failed a reflex test in a in a normal uh, physical therapy appointment, and uh, and and that initiated a you know a neurology appointment. And as soon as we'd been given that suggestion, we could sort of re we were re looking at uh, at her behavior through that. Right. different lens and now could see that it was, you know, more problematic uh, than, and it was, and then her behavior itself was changing very quickly by this point. It was almost a sort of, um, uh, you know, I don't know, a kind of just a massive slowing down of all her mental and physical capabilities. And no one could give us even a sense of why all of the tests were coming back in the normal range and so she's just, um, uh, you know, taking two minutes to write her own name. Uh, it's, you know, one word answers to everything. No emotion, no happiness, no sadness, just monotone. Mm-hmm. All right-hand side of her body stops working. Uh, and and you just, just uh, the effect was, uh, was, it was fast and fast, I mean, with, with at the at the time, I mean, she was really fast on the journey to becoming fully comatose, falling into a coma, and then you know, 
uh, you know, perhaps dying from that. And so that was a test. Yes, that's a test. Uh, and, and in the midst of that, that was my own two-path moment, definitely. And that's why I thought it sounds so interesting about Chris having had, using that exact language yep, yep. Was, was definitely a meeting of the minds moment with he and I. And, and you can take the heavier, harder path. What did that look like for us? It meant we could complain about everything that we couldn't control. We could worry about everything. We could be anxious about all the ambiguity around us. We could make our culture uh, brittle, our relationships strained, uh, and, and be consumed with this clearly awful, awful situation. But that's path one. The second path looked like more like, um, well, I mean, it is basically what we've been saying about state. It's like, can you, can you operate in a way that your state is protected? Yes. So that, so that you can deal with the ambiguity out there. Yep. And deal with all of the problems out there, all of the stresses out there. And so, yes, it meant, it meant looking after, you know, taking care of ourselves physically. It did include that sleeping as, as much as we could through the challenge. It meant we realized, well, if you have enough time to be, to worry, to be anxious, uh, to complain, you have enough time to be grateful. <laughs> if you, if you, you have enough time to play, you have enough time to sing together. You have enough. And those things meant that the relationship was that once you have your state is better, there's a, there's a, a catalytic effect. Your state improves your optionality and your ability to discern the right actions. It helps you then create results seem to flow from those higher quality decisions and that's exactly what happened. So it's been about two, maybe two and a half years now since since all of this began. And as of this conversation, and uh, and at same at the time of, I wrote the book, uh, she is thriving again, and she's doing well again. And she's the, she she um, eventually was unofficially diagnosed, but uh, by the neurologists as having um, and was treated for encephalitis, so uh, inflammation of the brain, mm. and responded to those treatments, those multiple treatments over time. And, uh, and, and uh, but, but so we came out, of course, very grateful that she is well again. Uh, and also with this lifelong lesson uh, or, or that, that, uh, that whatever's happened to you in the past, whatever's going on around you, this pale in comparison to maintaining the right state so you can take the right next action. Yep. Uh, and, and that's that, That's one of many lessons we learned from that experience. Yeah, beautiful. So glad to hear that things are going well there. Um, and, and I think just to put a bow on this state conversation, the way I, I share this with some of my coaching clients is you are enlarging your capacity, not only to take the blows that come your way, but also to enjoy that which you've been entrusted. It's this beautiful two for one gift you get. You, you're, you're in. It, it's like you. Um, it's like you taste more. You see more. You enjoy more. It's not necessarily a doing. It's everything you can't measure happens in the place of state. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm completely with you on that. Uh, I mean, I, I think another way to think about this is that we're sort of. Um, we have a sort of supercomputer level capacity. We have extraordinary abilities. Um, um, our mental, me emotional, physical, spiritual capabilities are absolutely enormous. Perhaps they're almost infinite it, it, to, in, in certain ways. Nevertheless, they're so cluttered, mm. yeah. they're so used up yeah. with not only the things we've already talked about, but also with distraction and also with endless emails and 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 inputs and 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 all that that, that we get so that it's like that supercomputer uh, runs slow. Yep, all the apps are open, 100 windows open. Yeah, all, the, all the apps are open, exactly. And and all of the cookies have been building up and and our job is to try to cleanse all of that. Mm, that's good. So we can start to, you know, this, the effortless state is already there. That's right, it's available. Yeah. We don't have to go find it somewhere. We don't have to go grab it from somewhere else and bring it in. It's already there, but we just need to remove the things that are yeah. gradually cluttering it up. So that's a supercomputer way of thinking about it. Uh, the other way I like to think about it is when somebody has, um, 
you know, when they, what's the word now? I keep, I keep doing this. You have to know my word. Job. I think, I think that seems reasonable. You know, when somebody has a cataract on their eye, it's a similar idea. It's yeah. a similar, thing. like the eye is, is still fully capable, right. but the cataract is, is making, you know, what it, what it's doing is it's making less and less light be available uh, to the retina. And so that's an, another way of thinking about the same idea. Our job is to remove that, you know, that cataract so that the light can come back in is yeah. to remove whatever is cluttering it up and then it exists. Then, then our sight works. Uh, then we're able to discern better in the world that we, uh, that we're trying to navigate. Yep. Well said. So once the state is there, our vision is there. Now, now we've gained vision for what we should do. And again, I, I mean, I'm just looking at my notes here, realizing this is be, do, have, right? Like state, yeah, yeah, be, the, sure. you know, action, do. And I think a lot of times the entrepreneurial spirit in us starts thinking, all right, more boxes to check, more things to do. Your argument here is define, get, get simple, uh, simplify that which you're going after. And, and I love that. All of your work constantly talks about top performers not being the busiest people. Um, and, uh, you know, like that we don't want our tombstones to read, he checked his email, um, things like that. You know, um, talk to me about getting getting the action right in that second part. Well, I mean, there's lots that, that there's, there's, here's the problem is that insecure overachievers overexert. Give me that again. Uh, Give, hold on, hold on. That, that's worth repeating. Insecure overachievers overexert. <laughs> That's good. So they make everything harder to execute than they need to. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it not because they're not motivated, of course. They're doing it because they are motivated. But just like with bloodletting, they have a, a limited paradigm, a limited view of how the world works. And so with solid motives and overdrive effort, they're actually doing things that sabotage their performance, not aid their performance. And so effort is a perfectly good, highly valuable uh, approach up to a certain level. We affirm work ethic. We're not saying it's a bad thing. Correct. Uh, I want my children to work. I I value it myself. I I believe in the gospel of work. I mean, of course I do. But it only gets you here. And there comes a point where if you keep applying it after that, then you are just going to burn yourself out rather than actually get to the next level. So you don't get to the next level and you burn yourself out. So you have to learn well, in a sense, you have to unlearn. That's right. You have to invert yeah. everything you would normally or you know think to do. Yeah. I think about it a little bit like uh, you remember George Costanza in uh, in, in in Seinfeld, Seinfeld. Uh, where he did the opposite day. <laughs> you know, where, where he said like I'm. He's like always a failure. And then he says I'll do exactly opposite of what I my intuition says, and then everything works really well for him. <laughs> Well, I think for overachievers, it's like the same idea, but sort of in reverse in a way. It's like it's like everything you think will lead to success, you've got to invert that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so instead of working harder, I got to work easier. Mm-hmm. I got to think about how to do it easier. Instead of overexerting, I have to rest. Yeah. I have to I have to. And so, so specifically though, under under, let's stay with this idea of just invert for a moment. Uh, it, it's to it's to shift between a mindset that says easy equals lazy mm. yep. and shift that you know that easy does not equal lazy it's enlightened well, it's awake well, <laughs> yes and, and 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 it's and it's like a fact too right mm-hmm. it, definition in the dictionary lazy equals not willing to put in effort easy is something that doesn't require effort those mm-hmm. are of course not the same idea yeah. and if if they're the same, you, in a Puritan type way, don't just think effort is a good thing, work is a good thing. You also distrust the easy. That's right. And as soon as you distrust the easy, as soon as you think, then, then, then you're going to just, you're going to like cut out massive numbers of mm-hmm. solutions. 
of tactics and strategies that would help you to be able to achieve that breakthrough level, but without burning out, because you're only going to trust the, the overexerted, overthinking, overcomplicated path. And, and we, that has all the limits that, that, that we've described. And so, and so what, I would, what I would say is that people can literally just start asking well, two questions. Here are two coaching questions people can ask. They can simply say of any task they are performing, essential or good or otherwise, how can this be made easy? What, how, how can I make it easy? Just even asking that question, it, it will, will open up your mind again to all these options you normally distrust. Or a second way of asking a similar thing, but I kind of like it in a way even more, it's how am I making this harder than it needs mm -hmm. to be? Yep. Yep. And those are two questions you can just start and adopt right now for whatever the next task is. You know, you don't have to wait for some special day, special occasion. Just the next thing you can ask that question and, and, and start to open your mind, create new synapse connections, new pathways, new neural you know, pathways for, ah, there could be an effortless solution or an easier solution than the one I'm currently employing. And, and we probably don't trust this because we trust the muscle, right? Watch me pick up this boulder and move it from here to there, right? Using this in metaphorical speaking. But yeah. the long game, it, easy, you only learn it through the long game, right? You plant the seed in the field and next year something interesting and beautiful happens. I mean, have you found in the worlds that you've, you know, crossed paths with that that's part of the reason why we don't trust this? Yeah, I'll say yes and. I mean, I, I do agree that, that there's, um, I mean, Warren Buffett said it this way. He said, you know, just that the problem is nobody wants to be rich slowly. Uh, <laughs> and so that is, of course, true. If when we're trying to force results now, then we then we're going to distrust long-term strategies that don't require a lot from us day in and day out, but can actually produce extraordinary results down the road. So yes, I do believe that there's examples for that. I also think that that there's just such a heavy bias within insecure overachievers that they just don't ask the question. Mm, right. So like, yeah. There's a silly example, but I'm just here in my office and I, there was a, I had a printer in my office for a couple of weeks. Every time I'd scan the room, I like to, I'm, I'm kind of a clean order freak and, 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 and I see it there and I'm like, oh, I need to do that. But every time I would do it, I'd go, oh, but I, you know, I mean, do I sell it? Where do I sell it? Who do I give it to? Do I, do I, do I if I recycle it, where do I recycle it? And I, and that was all just happened in three seconds in my head, but it's enough that I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that. So I just procrastinate that thing. And then one day it was happening when I was writing about, you know, how do you make this easy? And I'm staring at this thing and I'm like, oh, okay, well, let's try it out. How can I make it easy to have that no longer in my office, just resolved? And, uh, and I look up and there's some workers down the street and I'm like, oh, I wonder if they want it. And I literally go out there, hey, I've got a printer. Do you want it? Yes. I came and got it, gave it to them. Literally within two minutes of asking the question, I mean, actually timed at two minutes, it was gone, it was resolved, it was finished. So I just think that you, yeah, maybe that just sounds all too, too good to be true, but it's like, man, this question is almost like, it's, it, it's like uh, low hanging fruit is everywhere. Right, yeah. But we don't see it because we're so focused on a certain idea. And in fact, the idea is something like the more important the task, the harder it has to be. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So that means, of course, that creates a problem for us because then we will inherently procrastinate the important things in favor of the easy, trivial things. But we'll jump between them. We'll go, oh, I should really, I really should exercise. Oh, but it's that's so hard. I'm just going to watch TV uh, and, and so on. And we make these, we, we give up almost before we've begun. Sometimes like we me with the printer, it's not that we get halfway through the task and give up. It's that we do a pre-scan. You know, like when somebody looks at a, at a, at a, at a PowerPoint slide, it's got 500 words on it. And, and you, you don't read a half of the words and give up. You pre-scan. You're like, am I ever going to read this? I'm never going to read that. Yeah. yeah. In our lives, when we think essential things have to be the hardest things, we, we pre-scan and we go, oh, that's just way too mm -hmm. hard. No way mm -hmm. doing that. Instead of going, well, what if it could be? We just ask the question. Yep. This, 
Think about this, the power of this question. What would happen in your life if the essential things became the easiest things mm. and trivial things became the hardest things? <laughs> what would happen Total if you shift. could your life like that? Wow. Total shift. That's the power of uh, that's the power of that question. And that's the power to me of effortless. Make the trivial difficult. Make the essential simple. That's it. Yeah. That's it. You stack the decks in your favor. You build a system. Now this is now this is the difference. Now we've talked about state. We've talked about action, at least very briefly. This is the distinction between action and results. Within the, the, the way I'm thinking about it, is that res, effortless results. It's like the it's the natural extension of what we've been talking about at its sort of ultimate location. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was saying. What does effortlessness look like? And it is some, something like its perfect form is that results flow to you when you do nothing. Hmm. When you don't, when you, when, like, so linear, a linear result is where you say, I have to put in the effort now to get the result I want. And there are things you could do to make, you know, less effort to get the result by finding a, a better strategy, a simpler way of doing it. But Residual results occur when you say, I, I've put in effort not to make the thing happen, but to make a thing that makes the thing happen. Hmm. So you're shifting now to, to leverage where a modest effort produces a result many, many times over if you, if you build the right thing. Yep. Yep. And, 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 so, and so that's that to me is, is actually the, the most game-changing section of the book. It's this final section of the book, and it's the section that always gets me most excited and did as I was doing the research. But to give an example of it, I have a friend, Jessica Jakely, who went to Africa with her then husband and some friends and wanted to help entrepreneurs there, found an entrepreneur who's subsistence level, and they found that $500 as a gift would help her to take some time off so she could work on her business, not just in her business and renegotiate contracts. And they're like, this is a pretty modest amount. I mean, we could change your life for this 500 pounds, $500. And, uh, uh, and then they go, well, hold on. They were inspired by Muhammad Yunus. And they said, well, hold on. We, we, what if we did it as a loan? Okay, that would mean that would mean 10x result with basically the same amount of effort, pretty much the same amount of effort. But then 10 entrepreneurs can benefit over time. Yep. And then they, then they said, well, hold on. If that's true, what if we didn't just build a loan? What if we built a loan system, a website, where other people like us that don't want to spend six months out, that's too much effort, but they could just go onto the website and they could make micro loans. What, we could then scale this, again, not very much more effort, but we could have impacts throughout the world. And, and that's how Kiva.org was born. Wow. Wow. So this is now the difference between a $500 gift that was like, let's call that X, and $1.3 billion of loans wow. with a 97% repayment of those loans. Wow. So this is just a number today. It's going to be greater over time. That's what do you call that? That's more than 10X. That's more than 100X impact. I think that's significantly more than a 1,000X impact. That's the power of moving to effortless results. Yeah. Yeah. where you're building systems that produce the results for you over time. Yeah. Yeah. And that leads to sustainability, which we're all after. That leads to predictability, which so many of us don't have the language for, but we're after that too. Yes. Um, not the ups and downs. The like steady is a good thing. Something you can bank on something consistent. Um, yeah. And, and, and really, I mean, as you, at the end of the book, you kind of offer this invitation of, look, the, the choice is yours to live and produce and, and experience something that is lighter and brighter, right? Um, that really, I, I think when you get to the essence of what are we getting at here, it's waking up to the reality that you have a choice, right? And a lot of times we look outside of ourselves and blame someone and say, well, I don't have a choice because of what they did or what they didn't do. You're saying, no, it's an inside job. Get the state right. 
uh, actions will follow, and you do have a choice to navigate your days in a lighter and a brighter way. Yes, I I was reading another book that I, I uh, that I, I really enjoyed. It's a book called Soundtracks by uh, John Acuff. And um, as I was reading it, I was having him on my podcast, on the What's Essential podcast. And and so I was reading the book, and I, I come across this section in it uh, where he his wife came to him and said, you know, when you're writing, you're researching your books for two years, you're no fun to be around. Um, and then when you're marketing for the next two years, you're no fun to be around through that either. And, uh, and he's like, Oh, okay. So that's, that's good. Me. I got to figure out what to do about this. And, and, and he sort of, he, he discovered that he had a soundtrack that had run again and again in his mind that said, writing has to be hard. Hmm really hard. Uh, there are all sorts of quotes about this, but the one, one famous one that both of us have, had, had read before is writing's no problem. All you have to do is get up to the typewriter, typewriter and bleed. <laughs> and that's sort of, that's taken for granted. That's how it needs to be. And he said, well, what if I should choose a different soundtrack? And he chose the phrase light and easy. Hmm. And that became his soundtrack for writing soundtracks. Uh, and, and he did all these symbolic things to reinforce this new mantra, this new soundtrack. And one of them was he bought those Nike shoes that were used to, uh, for the, for the, how to the first sub two hour marathon mm. and big deal about this. Cause these shoes are really light, really easy. They don't add anything of you know, any burden to the runner. And so he wore those all the way through re- writing the book, Love just that. as a reminder, yeah. do this light and easy. You don't have to be burdensome through all the stress through all of this. Oh, what am I going to write? Just be light and easy. And so I think that's a that's a good sort of uh, summary of the idea is that you can you can take the harder, heavier path if you like. Uh, you know, you can you can do you can do hard and difficult, uh, but you can also deal with the difficult challenges in a light and easy way, so that you don't make life's inevitable challenges harder than they need to be. Yeah, beautiful. Light and easy. Those are mantras we can live by around here. Um, (laughs) So essentialism. It's been in the world a long time. It opened so many doors. It uh, created a lot of breakthrough and liberation for people. Effortless, it's doing the same thing. My senses are, pre-COVID, you were on every continent talking about this thing. Um... What is the advice you would give your younger self after everything that you've seen with, with where these books have taken you and this insight and wisdom? It, you know, I, I've thought a lot about that question because I've been asked it in a whole variety of ways over, you know, over the years. And I always come back to the same thing, which is, which is it all works out mm-hmm. and better than you think. And I have come to believe that when that feeling comes, when those, those words come, it all works out. There's, there's something very deep. There's deep inspiration in that, not just a nice idea, but there's a deep assurance of like, yeah, all things, all things eventually will work for your good. All things will work together. And what it does for me when I remember it is that it just leads me to relax. <laughs> it doesn't make me less passionate. It doesn't give me less fire for the deed. It just means, I mean, I could almost, somebody once explained it to me that, that even the way you sit in a chair, you can do in, an, in a way that overexerts, like you're leaning forward and kind of stresses your body. But even if you just relax a little back mm. and that little small shift, you can feel it in your body. It's like that phys- is literally true, but also psychologically true. You don't want to be leaning forward too much. You don't want to be leaning back too much, but there's a source of readiness that you can find, an athletic stance where, you know, you can enjoy more because because you're not strained. You can be here more without worrying that you're going to fall behind. We're in some panicked race, and then you literally find you get to the end of your life and you missed your life. Mm. (laughs) Because you were so intent on the next thing and the next, and I don't want to be behind. And 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 uh, I that's what that that would be the advice I would give to myself in the past. And and that's the you know it's the, definitely the advice I always need to remember now as well. Yep, the yoke is easy, the burden's light. 
it's all working together for our good. Well said. Oh, well, if you if you're gonna go biblical on us, right, then then you have to think a lot about that because because that that phrase, you know, my I mean, that's not some you know, that's not some peripheral phrase. It's not some idea that's at the at the um it's the grain the, of the universe. Yeah, it's um it's a it's a quote at the very heart of Christendom, not at some not some peripheral sermon that was given somewhere in obscurity that you're pulling in. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Are you kidding me? You know, like, is it, you know, is right. that the experience for, for, for people going to church as a general rule? Is that an insight that maybe they're not doing it just quite the right way? Maybe there's a different way to do it. Maybe, maybe there's a, you know, the very heart of Christianity, this idea of the great exchange where you say, look, you know, I'm not going to try. I think there's a lot of people you could say this in, in, in to people of all different faiths or none, but, you know, or versions of this, but, but let's just stay with this. Cause you, you used the, the quote. I think there's a lot of Christians trying to be Christians without Christ. <laughs> so they're still just trying to perfect themselves and right. save themselves and do it all themselves. And it's like, now that isn't what, that isn't what he Not said. The invitation. <laughs> <laughs> that, so that's, that's doing it wrong. Uh, and, and to just discover, you know, light and easy is, is, is really the invitation. I, I think is itself um, a wake up call. Anyway, we could riff on that for a while, but we, there you go. We sure could. Maybe another episode one day. Um, <laughs> well, Greg, I am super grateful for you and your work and your energy in the world. It's doing beautiful things, um, sending grace and peace to you and your family. Uh, guys, you. make sure you go get you a copy of Effortless. Uh, you will uh, be glad that you did. Before we go, where would you send our listeners uh, and viewers to follow you and what you're doing? Yeah. Um, I think there's one thing I would tell people to do. Uh, just go to gregmcewan.com and sign up for the One Minute Wednesday yep. newsletter. It's very good. One I'm on it. Thing, and you're on it. Thank you for being on it. And, uh, and we're, we're trying to do some interesting things with it, but we're trying to always just try to make it, you know, less but better. It's the smallest footprint with the largest, uh, largest impact in people's lives. So that's, that's what I would say. Right on, man. Grace and peace. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much. <laughs>